Hi again, everybody. It's me, JR Man. Welcome to another edition of your Life's Work podcast. How are you? Hope you're holding up through the COVID. Today on the big show, I'm going to bring you one of my very dear friends, Chris Danley. Chris um, just lost his father to COVID-19, like literally a few days ago. Chris lives in a part of uh, New York City that has been most affected by uh, the COVID as far as the deaths are concerned. And you're about to hear a story that is, uh, it's heart-wrenching. It is heartbreaking. Um, but it also is very poignant and very uplifting. It has many avenues where we all can connect with. Through the lockdown and the COVID and people dying, we're all experiencing sorrow and joy together in a myriad of ways. And you're about to hear one of those stories that have both that connectivity between joy and sorrow and the inner mercying of both. Um, Chris's story, uh, you know, like I say, is, is not a story that, you know, you wish on anyone. And you're going to find yourself, as I, as I have, because I know Chris and Noah's story, wanting to help or how do you help? Or maybe you'll feel helpless because you can't. But we can all certainly collectively uh, gather around um, and pray and think and um, at least talk about what the sorrow and the joy mean in a time like this. So um, appreciate you all gathering around. Uh, here is my friend Chris. I'm, I'm recording just so you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you you, you, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> I knew that. It surprised me in the past. I, uh, I, I knew that. Yeah. Let's let's rewind a little bit. Tell everybody what's yep. gone on in your life in the last week, because this is, I mean, this is huge kind of trauma, and I mean, it, it's unthinkable at at so many levels. Tell everybody what's going on. Uh, let's see. So, um, so both my husband and I, we own our own businesses, and. Uh, Right when the pandemic became real for us was about six weeks ago. I know you're asking to talk about this last week, but it does have a lot to do with these last couple of weeks. Um, I own a tattoo shop in Brooklyn. Of course, you can imagine how close I work, not, not only next to people, but working literally with blood every single day, literally wiping blood off of people. Um, obviously with, you know, full, uh, PPE with, with gloves. Um, oftentimes, no, in the past, not with masks. Uh, I had found masks to be really prohibitive. Um, very hard to breathe. Um, very hard to talk to my clients. Um, I, I found them incredibly uncomfortable to, to wear more than an hour at a time. So, um, in predominance of care, even before other businesses were closed, we made the decision at to close about a week or two before everything was required to close. And so um, I closed on my business. Michael uh, very quickly then followed afterwards. He owns a safety training company in New York, which requires hundreds if not thousands of people to come in uh, daily for classes, uh, sit right next to each other in crowded rooms and, and take courses that help them get their OSHA certifications for construction, fall protection, things like that. And they do other things besides that, but that's predominantly what they do is they really facilitate the construction field in a kind of a federal level um, mandating that they have certain safety classes before they go on to job sites. So, right. um, he, he closed that. Um, 
we are we're in the current stage of adoption where uh, we haven't adopted yet, but we were um, we had finished all our fostering uh, requirements. Basically, we had taken all the classes we thought we were going to be taking. We were already through our day visits, our off-campus visits for our, for our son. We were doing extended weekends and extended vacations, uh, holidays at our house, and he was completing out sort of a year-long sort of program they had where he was at, just to help him mentally, psychologically, you know, psychologically. Um, just to help him with the, the transition of coming to a new home. Uh, I actually found his entire caregiving uh, team really important in his, in his transition. Uh, we've seen how much he's grown during this period of time with them, and we wanted to continue with that. Now, six weeks ago, he was here for another weekend. I was not working. Um, I was home, and we got a emergency notification from the uh, state of New York saying for the next two days they were going to be closing schools, and that included Wesley's school, uh, my son's school, um, up north. So in a mad dash, we called around to see if we could keep him, because honestly, um, if we had kept him without permission, uh, probably the police would have come to our door. So we we called uh, the place that he was living, and... They didn't know what to do, and it took us a while, but we got permission to actually keep him in just a few more days until all this would maybe blow over. That's That was the attitude that a lot of people had. We didn't have that attitude. We had, I think, the foresight to see that this is going to be a huge pandemic, this is going to be a huge problem, and that if we didn't get him to stay with us during this period of time, he might get trapped back at the facility that he was staying at indefinitely until this was over with. And so we were lucky enough to actually be able to keep him. So for that first week, it was sort of, well, everything was a little off kilter. It was a little strange for us. And um, we didn't have any uh, formalized like education uh, packets or anything like that. And because this had all happened so so quickly, his school really didn't realize that we were actually going to be keeping him. They sent all the schoolwork back to his children's home um and so we kind of were winging it for a week and then things progressively got worse and things spike and the danger started to become real um we really buckled down in that period of time um i'd say that next weekend i drove to my tattoo shop and i filled up our car with as much cleanser alcohol maticide antibacterial soap, gloves, masks, everything that we had um, and that I could bring back because I was really seeing the chaos happening. The shelves were starting to go empty in New York. Um, you couldn't find toilet paper. You couldn't find uh, paper towels even back then, a month, a month and a half ago. You, so I knew that I was going to have to sort of almost steal from my own business in order for us and our community to have some stuff. And we were able to set up my mom and dad and and uh, michael's uh, father and his wife uh with supplies and just make sure that all of our more elderly neighbors had what they needed and made ourselves available we we brought all that stuff home and very quickly we adopted a mask exclusivity outside when a lot of people weren't doing it we were we were doing it um 
to to compound things a little bit, I really have an immune. Uh, I have an immunosuppressive uh, kind of condition where I'm very susceptible to getting sick, and I'm very aware that um, I fall within a category of people who um, are very susceptible to dying from this. And so it was out of a super precaution kind of thing that Michael, my husband, would predominantly do the gathering, I guess, of the tribe. Of you know, he would be he would be the one to to dress up and go to the grocery store to to put on a mask, to put on gloves, and to be that that point person for the family. About halfway through these last six weeks, my father had a heart attack. Uh, he had had other heart problems before, and, and really, he wasn't quite sure he was having a heart attack. It was one of the lightest little heart attacks. You know, just he, was, he felt like it was either indigestion or didn't know. We called the ambulances. We went over fully decked out, looking like, you know, like we were ready for war and gloves and masks and everything into the house. And we really had to go back and forth. We were in a very strange position. Because I said to my mom and dad, we like, really couldn't stress actually what was happening in the real outside world. A side note, my parents just don't go out. They are very, they were very homebound. They're very, uh, almost reckless, you know, um, and they just don't go out and they don't really listen to a lot of the news. And so basically we had this strange half an hour in the house where we had to weigh the pros and cons of them actually going to the hospital because it was my assertion that if he went to the hospital, he could very likely be exposed to, to the virus. Right. The ambulance, and at that uh, time, at that time, at yeah. that time when he goes to the hospital, it's like the COVID's on fire. Cause we're talking on, you know, we're talking fire. Yeah. Like, they have turned yeah. the lobbies. They have turned the waiting rooms into ICUs. They have literally turned the hallways into ICUs. Everyone was expected to double their capacity in New York. Every single hospital was expected to double their capacity. You had um, the the naval ship USS Comfort um, docked outside of of Manhattan. They had turned one of the largest convention centers uh, probably in the world into um, multiple hospitals, the Javits Center, to increase, uh, like, I think 5,000 beds. They set up a... um, temporary uh, hospital, field hospital in Central Park. Yeah. So he's so dad's now going to the hospital in a he's, in they a made time. the decision. He actually made the decision. He yeah. made the decision. He said on the he just didn't want to chance anything. And uh, so they they take him. Yeah. He's there. We're we're talking to him on the phone. He's been treated really well. Um and he comes home in a few days. Yeah. He comes home, and he's home for five days. He's home for five days, and um, he's with my mother, and we're just being very, we're having a lot of precautions. We realize he's just been at the hospital. We're doing a lot of waving to him through glass doors and no contact. We realize the severity. If you live in New York, I imagine all of us have perhaps a little bit more, and this is very presumptive, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to put anybody's um, feelings down. I just have a feeling of being a New Yorker and the daily briefings by your mayor and by your governor and by the alerts we get on our phone warning us to not go outside, the daily warnings that we have and make sure to wear a mask. Um, it's constantly being drilled. You're getting these 
alarm alerts on your phone, you know, constantly. So we're very, very vigilant about it. So we're waving to him through glass windows and doors, having no contact with him. And then one very early morning, around 4.30, my mom came screaming to the door saying that dad had collapsed. Your very first instinct is to immediately run out of the house. Right. And go and help. And I found one of the strangest things was to actually calm my mind enough to get dressed, to cover my body, to cover my face, to cover my hands, and then go off and help. It was a very odd feeling. It must be the tiniest bit what a firefighter feels like. They want to put that fire up, but they've got to protect themselves from the fire first, right? So we get all of our shit, all of our stuff on it, and we run in, we go into the house. And this is my first time into the house in a while. And then my father is he's laying on the floor and he's ashen. And you want to comfort him and you want to touch him and you want to feel his forehead and you want to do all these things. Instead, there I am, we're calling 911 and the ambulance comes and they take him away. Uh, we were very fortunate to have somebody who could cut through some of the, the red tape. The, the hospitals here are completely overloaded you can be on the phone with it ringing to an information line for 15 minutes and then it'll go dead and then you need to try it again to get through to ask about how someone is we must have called like i don't know half a dozen eight times ten times before we could really find a way to get a hold of him so we had someone on the who could help us so somebody else, okay. somebody somebody takes yeah. him to the hospital. You guys don't go. He goes. No, we can't. You, yeah. you can't go to the hospital. Right. Um, they won't allow you up the drive unless it's a, unless it's a person who's sick or yeah. in an ambulance. You yeah. can't even enter hospital. A lot here, of so. a lot of people that are outside the New York area have not been. The reason I'm stopping and I'm I'm, I'm questioning you no, is no, because a lot of people don't unfortunately, who are living in smaller... Because New York has been ground zero for this thing, and a lot of people just don't understand what the the operating procedure is as... If I can impress the people who are listening to this, this is a completely different thing here than I think anywhere else in the world. I mean, daily briefings, concise, wonderful, factual, scientific-based... Uh, 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 daily briefings by our governor and by our our, our mayor. Um, I feel that they're leading this country right now in their example. I believe that um, this state in particular has done such a amazing job. And despite everything and all of our precaution and all of our protection, my dad most likely well, my, my, we found out from a person on the inside that he was symptomatic of COVID and then they gave him a rapid test and he had it. Yeah. So we know this and, um, and what happens today? And what, and, and, and what, dad dad passed away three days later from COVID-19. Yeah. I received a call early in the morning, um, from the doctor saying he had, he was very close to, to passing away. Could I get anybody and everybody on the phone right now to say goodbye to him? This is a hospital that's about 10 minutes away from the house. Yeah. 10 or 15 minutes away from the house. So the reality... And I cannot 
the, the reality is yeah. we've got to say goodbye to him via the phone. I can't go up and be near him. The reality is uh, it, somebody's holding the phone up to him and you guys are saying goodbye. Yeah, like he's on the other side of the world Yeah, when he's down the street. Yeah, he's like a, through, a few miles away. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? And what is that I, duty? I mean, I can't. I mean, listen, this is such uncharted territory, and I, you know, I don't mean, um, to, I, I, I don't mean to sound callous, Chris, but what does that do to you? Know, you? Um, I don't know yet, Jr. Yeah, and and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. You're gonna. Sorry about that. No, we just dropped. Know. I apologize. No, um, you're probably wondering how I felt at the time, but then it's how I felt three hours later or how I felt that night or how I felt after a lot of other things that are happening in, in our lives. So um, I, like I said, my husband been in been protecting, well, did I say this? My Since, since my husband was primarily in the house with him that night that he collapsed for about an hour, out of an abundance of just precaution and, and, and care, not only for me to have just be, have a, a weak immune system and having a brand new son in our house. Yeah, he, Michael made he, the yeah. really brave decision of completely and utterly sequestering himself on a different floor in the house. And so he has been in our master bedroom, master bath and locked in that room for the last eight days. Yeah. And he's been taking his temperature by himself and being by himself. And I am taking down the meals to him and whatever else he needs. He wraps up his dishes in plastic bags. I let them sit there for 24 hours. I then get gloves and take the dirty dishes back upstairs. I disinfect the bag first and then I, I tear it open. And then I disinfect all of the, the, um, the dishes. That's just, just for feeding. That's just for a, a meal, you know? Um, there's garbage to take out. There's laundry to do. And I have to treat it all as if perhaps it's been exposed. Yeah. Now let's, now let's, so, let's, yeah. let's just back up. Let's just back up. So, <clears throat> so again, like, because I mean, with how I think, and I just roll through the different scenarios. So we've got business, business shutdown, adoption right. of a kid, COVID right. quarantine, your dad yep. passes, and and while in in the middle of the immersion of the sorrow and the grief, your family yeah. can't physically be together because no, I mean, see, I just Michael sat. I sat down on the stairs as close as I could get to the bedroom door. So the stairs leading down to the second floor to the third floor. I sat down at the base of those stairs. And I could literally, I could see Michael's shadow under the door about three, four feet away from me. Yeah. And he was, I was physically leaning against the door listening while I was saying goodbye to my dad. My dad couldn't speak. So I, I could have been talking to a broom closet or I could have been talking to my father and my mother was in hysterics and you can imagine. And so I I couldn't lean in as hard as I wanted to 
on everything I wanted to say because I was constantly bringing my mother back. Mom, this is the time to actually speak. We, we can't scream right now. We can't cry. Dad, you know, and it's telling him all these things. You are loved. Thank God you're never going to have to give yourself another insulin shot. You're never going to have to worry about, about being tired anymore. I promise to take care of you. And he's got just a beloved pet. I promise that we are going to take care of her. I promise that we are going to take care of mom. Mm. This is your time. We will never forget you. And, and just saying these things that you never would think you would say, and you're saying it on a phone with zero response. Well, it, it goes, uh, you know, and you and I've chatted just a little bit about it, but this ev- this whole damn story, it goes completely counter to how we would normally react. And that's what I find just so sorrowfully terrifying about your story and the fact that, like, you know, and I told you this on the phone the other day, like, it it takes everything I have not to drive over and grab you and, and, you know, be able to... No one can. Yeah. No one can right now. And I don't know... No one can. I cannot wait till Michael, at least Michael is my, my plus one in this, and I can't wait till he comes out because I have a feeling that I'm going to, 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 to I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I feel like I'm going to melt for a while. Well, you should. Out. You should. I mean, listen, you, you should. I'm, anybody listening to this would think, how the hell have you not melted through this? I mean, this is like, have you thought about, and again, like, listen, a lot of the yeah. stuff that I'm asking yep. you is, is like, you know, it's like who the hell asks these type of questions just a few days after your no, dad it's, it's dies? No, if people don't understand our nature of relationship, we just do this with each other. It's fine, um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, we just do this with each other. But I do this with the world as well. I mean, if I if I care about the person, I'm going to tell you exactly what it is that I'm feeling, or I'm going to tell you I don't understand it yet. Yeah, yeah. And um, what is it though? Um, what, for for you, what what is that? Is that what? Because there's obvious, there's an obvious love and and I've been through a lot of happening. trauma in my. Yeah, I I had this conversation. I've been through a lot of trauma in my life. Yeah, and I've been through a lot of uh, sorrow in my life, and I I spent a great deal of my of my adolescence being very sequestered away from the rest of the world. I lost a brother to cancer. He was two years old. I was about ten years older than that, and my parents sort of, not sort of, they moved us into the middle of the country, or excuse me, in the middle of, of, um, of Oregon, out in the country, away from everybody. I had no neighbors, there was no kids to play with. And so it was a lot of self, self-soothing techniques that I developed, a lot of um, pouring myself into not make-believe, but into reading and to crafting and to creating things that would I would spend a long time on. I was a weird kid. I would paint when I was 13 and 14. I would make sculptures and I would write poetry and I would have books sent from the library because my parents wouldn't let me go. And I would read those books and then put them back in the mailer and they would send me more books. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time by myself and I think that that's serving me a little bit now. Um, a lot of people were saying to me initially, thank goodness Wesley's there. I kept on thinking, well, gosh, having Wesley here, our son, it's, it's, it's a joy and we're very lucky, but to maintain a certain 
pace and try to not hurt him during this time. And I mean just psychologically hurt him. To see me completely go balls to the wall, just cry and moan and want to hide and gnash my teeth and pull my hair out. You know, I am not going to do that because this kid deserves so badly what I didn't have. He deserves to to be celebrated. You know, the, our, our son is so amazing. When all this happened, he offered me his bedroom. He's like, I can sleep on the couch. That he's a very he's he's very empathic at, at times. He very much is in his own way trying to try to take care of me. I think the thing that's keeping me going is knowing that you know there's a man downstairs locked in a bedroom that is completely dependent on me if he eats. Completely dependent on me if he has food. Yeah. There is a woman downstairs that is completely dependent on me if she eats. Are you the same thing with what? Do yeah. you worry? What What are the big worries in the in the big fears here? What are the? Because I mean, gosh, my head is spinning with the amount of things that you've got to be worried about. What 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 are the big consuming ones? Like, like you, I guess you want to you want to go there. I mean, like if you if if you want to go there with the worst case scenario, every around everyone around me dies. Yeah, that my mom's going to die, and my 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 husband is going to die. Yeah. And that's that's the big thing. And then I'm in this house as a single dad. That is the and 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 and, and, and I don't have a job right now, for God's sakes, you know. And then um, we've taken abundance of precaution of of not overspending in our life. We were. I'm just. That's what I worry about. If I hear that Michael's temperature one day is 98.7, I try not to let myself go and, and go, oh God, there, there, is, there it goes up. But it was 98.7 today, you know? So is he getting a glow break fever? Was it just because he ate or he got out of the shower? I can't manipulate this. I have no control over this. Is there, um, are there any current guide? I don't even know. Is there, are there any current guidelines as to like, obviously he, he went and he self quarantined, um, yep. you know, in his house, but are, are there any, are there, is there any logic to like you just going to a hotel or, I mean, what, what, what is the traditional thinking out there about quarantining? If you can keep them at home, I believe this is it. If you can keep them at home and separated, you keep them at home and separated. Gotcha. That they don't want to put, literally fill up every hotel room. They don't want to, literally, you know, and separate people and spread further. I think they're looking for the ultimate thing that they don't talk about is containment. Yeah. Because as much as um, we are sequestered from each other, it's still in a it's still in a home with uh, central heating and air. I mean, for God's sakes, you know, um, <laughs> you know. So uh, if we all get it, then I haven't exposed someone at a hotel. And then the neighbor in the hotel or the person when I got ice down the hallway or I ate, you know what I mean? So I think they're looking for ultimately the containment. You always have to think about, you know, they, they, they say a lot of things for you to, to follow and they really do make sense, but there's an 
ulterior reason for all of this. They don't want us to to be out in the community. Here's the problem is that my mom is, um, she is, exhibits a huge amount of dementia. And when my father went into the hospital, one of the hardest things that I've been having to to deal with every day is that in the beginning, she would call me between 15 to 30 times a day asking where my dad was. Jeez, oh, dude. That's when he was in the hospital. And then after he passed, I've had to tell her more than 20 times that he has died. Yeah. And every time it's screaming, it's crying, it's why didn't I tell her? Why weren't we at the hospital? What is COVID-19? And that's the hardest part. What keeps me going on with your question? I have too much to lose if I lose my, if I lose my, um, lose the control right now. Yeah. If, if I lose control, what's going to happen to my son? What's going to happen to my husband? What's going to happen to my mother? I, I don't have any choice. Well, there's a real, I mean, there's a super reconciling into survival, right? I mean, there's like this, like, Hey, what are the conditions to survive right this second? And I think that's something that, again, we're Americans, man. It's like people bitching, moaning, and complaining about about empty shelves. But meanwhile, you guys are going through, like, for me, what the reality of this disease has done to uh, or can do to families. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about opening back up, but you guys are squarely in the crosshair still. Of, of two, this two, two things in particular that a lot of people kind of have asked us a lot. Why haven't we gotten tested? Um, that's one thing. And then I'll talk about groceries. In yeah, a why, yeah, that's that's uh, great. I would love to know the testing. That, that's a great that's a great thing. Why haven't you gotten testing? Okay, because you sort of unless you know someone who can get you in and maybe fudge paperwork to say that you have a temperature and that you're exhibiting all these different things, you can't get a test here. You can't get a test. You You can't get a test on suspicion. Yeah, in other words... You can't get a test because your dad died. You have to literally be um, exhibiting full-on blown symptoms for them to test you here. Yeah. Has that... Does that change day-to-day as more testing becomes available? More testing isn't available here yet. Yes, More okay. testing isn't available here yet. Yes. It is not. It is. It's still not. There's. <laughs> they're importing the. They're importing the chemicals and the and the this and that from different countries. They're literally building machines to make more uh, of the of the readers. Um, all that stuff. Um, you can get tested, and so we were we were offered one of those deals by someone in our life who said, "I can get you guys in." Now, it was about an hour and a half away, and Michael and I heavily talked about it. But Michael did a couple of really smart things. He did a teledoctor uh, uh, appointment with, a, with an RN, and she explained to him this. He's not exhibit, you're not exhibiting symptoms right now. Is that correct? And he's like, yeah, I'm not. But my father died, and I was around him. Okay. So if we tell you that you have it, we won't put you in the hospital. You have no respiratory anything. I mean, you know, you don't have you don't have you're not any danger of not being able to breathe. Mm-hmm. You don't have a massive temperature or any temperature. So what we would tell you 
is from that point of taking the test to self-isolate for two weeks. Yeah. So yeah, it's it, similar. It would have extended it, his period of time. It yeah. would extended his period of time of being in isolation. Yeah. So his isolation ends this upcoming Monday, which will make two weeks of of him living in a bedroom and a bathroom. And he's been running his company from 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 the bedroom. They were able to change their whole uh, procedure of having in in-house classes with people and very quickly the federal government made a a huge exemption for uh, businesses, his type of business for the very first time to ever do this virtually or do this online via zoom or Google meetings or, or whatever it is. And it was never allowed in the past. And basically Michael and his team sat down for eight days and figured it out and did it for the very first time. And they are conducting classes every day now because the construction field is considered, they're considered essential workers. Dude. And they're going to be the very first people that are being rolled back. I watched, I watched uh, last yesterday's um, briefing by the governor, 46,000 people in New York are in the, in the construction field in New York. And they're going to be the first round of people who they believe that can still maintain social distance, get the job done and go back to work. Yeah. And so they made this huge exemption for this particular field because their jobs are essential as well. Um, what, what, yeah. what do you want? What can people do? Like, I just feel so damn helpless to be able to help you guys. And I know, I know your neighbors have got to feel the same way too. I mean, I know they do because they can't, because you can't, we can't get near each other. So what you can't send, you can't send us food in your dishes. You, you, you can't send, you know what I mean? Like you, you're, you have all the, everyone has the right intentions, but I don't know who you've been around. And it's this strange feeling of so longing to like be embraced and feeling like everyone's going to expose me to this at the same time. It is this, it is, it, 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 it's such a fight. One of my neighbors got very creative yesterday. Um, she brought by um, four prepackaged uh, Marie Callender's pot pies um, and um, some fruit, and out of abundance of care, before all of this started, I bought a a special box that you could put in anything. You could put in your fruit, your masks, anything, and it's got that that light in it that oh, kills ninety nine point nine percent. And so I now practically <laughs> irradiate all of our fruits before then I wash it and then put it away. Yeah. Um, Getting groceries, for example, once they're at the house is about a two-hour project for me because I leave them on the first floor, I bring each bag up separately with gloves, I wipe down the bag, then I wipe the contents with uh, isopropyl alcohol, (laughs) and then I put all of the exposed things into the box, put it through a 30-minute cycle, the maximum it can go, and then I put everything away either into freezer, refrigerator, or, you know, out on the counter. Um, we can't go get our own groceries. It's the hardest thing. We can't go, I can't go to the grocery store. Michael can't go to the grocery store. And my mother can't go to the grocery store. And I tell you, uh, it is very odd and humbling 
to be completely dependent on people bringing you food. Now we're paying people where here's the money for it. We thank you so much. If you're going, please go. And could I give you a small list? And you're so used to buying those things that you bought for the last 10 years. You always have your favorite things at the grocery store and you always buy them. And now I'm receiving things that I never would have cooked with before or, um, and I'm so grateful for it. Um, it's, it's very weird. Our house feels very much like a spaceship. I basically open up my phone when they call. I open up the garage door. They slide everything into the garage. And then I close the door. And I pay them via an app and say thank you over the phone. Um, I'm so starved for, for people. For those of us who are in quarantine or, or self-isolating like this, we need human interaction. I need to see a face. I need to see faces. Really, I've got to see faces. Uh, uh, before, well, once in a while, uh, so we will still go outside. Wesley and I will still go outside fully wrapped up. And what we'll do is I'll have gloves on and I'll ring certain neighbors' doors and then I'll back up about 10 to 15 feet and they come to their doors and they wave at us. I mean, dude, you know, again, I haven't, yeah, people listening, you know, I apologize to cut you off the, um, the people listening, like this isn't, you know, this is like a book, man. This is like, just again, it's hard for me to take this in and, and, and I can't imagine what what it's like to you, JR, when you hear this, because this is my absolute reality. I I don't listen. First off, my heart completely breaks because I mean, my personality is I just want to go help you. And, and, and yep. knowing that we're knowing that the conditions under the disease go counterintuitive to how we would normally operate. Right. We would normally go grab somebody up and go fix Absolutely. them up. And, would, well, but, someone someone passes away, there would be there would be, be an abundance of funeral. people coming over. There would, well, in 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 my my husband's Irish family the immediate thing that everyone would have done and they have done in the past. My father had a major, major heart attack uh, several years ago. They, we, they filled the ER. When my mother was going through all of her, um, her breast cancer stuff, they came to the waiting room and one of my sister-in-laws literally carried a crock pot inside of the, the waiting room. Yeah, that's what you do would plug it in and had fresh bread and ladled out soup to everyone in the room. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's that's exactly what I mean. I mean, the uh, th- that's why this is such a pain in the ass because we we are designed to, to receive and give love. And now, you know, and, and obviously, listen, I get it. Like, I'm not saying, hey, let's think of stupid ways that we could all be together, but... I can't help but hear your story and then do a couple things. Number one is want to embrace you and really care and, yeah. and, and be and be very concerned for you. But then the other thing is to, you know, part of me is like, man, people have got to hear this so they can really understand. And again, I don't want to do a PSA on how to keep no. us all safe. I mean, that that's... I haven't I haven't I haven't either. I haven't done that, Jr. As much as I've thought about it, I have thought about going online, telling my story 
trying to scare the shit out of people. But, you know, the information's out there. You don't need to hear me in my time of grief in order to put a a mask on if you live not only in the city with the most uh, cases, but I live within within the county of this city with the most cases. I live in Queens, New York City. This is the number one area of density and population that has this. And our hospitals are cracked full of people. Um, You know, there's still over 70% capacity. Yeah. In ICU. Yeah. So, um, and well, then, then, and then in upstate New York, upstate New York, no, no, they have seven percent of the cases. Yeah. Seven percent. So the so in, the in bottom upstate. line, you know, the bottom line is, you know, because again, it was like for me thinking about motives to 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 talk and you know to really want. You know, you did something the other day. Can I talk about what you did the other day on the Instagram or no? Yeah. Okay. So you did something the other day that really profoundly affected me. And I mean, I know we talked, I know we talked Monday, but I mean, um, you went live uh, on Instagram and the way you went live, and I'm not talking about Ginger. I'm just talking about the fact that you, and you can tell everybody who the hell Ginger is in a minute. Yeah, I'll tell Ginger about Ginger. um, But what, you know, again, for me, this is how people are handling the trauma, how people are handling the sorrow, because this shit is so consuming and so real. And and Chris, for the record, you're not the only one that I know that that is burying people and so but 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 that's my point my point is is like the reference point that i come from is like hey man how do we learn to love one another even more deeply and concerning in this crazy ass time so you went live the other day on on instagram with one of your very which i do with which my, my, my one of my dearest friends it's not my dearest friend um uh, a day or two prior to that, though, um, I did go online and just uh, speak my truth um, and talked about my father's death the day before. I felt like I was doing something. I, I not only on that, but the the thing that I did on Sunday. I was. I had to really question myself whether or not I was doing a stereotypical millennial look at me kind of thing. Not a millennial, um, but I thought that. I didn't want it to look either narcissistic and I didn't want it to, to, to be that I just needed in this particular bizarre time, I needed to be seen. I needed to, for some reason, I needed the world to see me because I'm sitting in the same room that I sleep and I eat and I make a meals in every day for almost two months now. And my dad died and I, no one could come and hug me. And I needed somehow to be seen. I needed people to recognize my grief for some reason. And I don't know if that's narcissism. I don't know if oh, that listen, is. Listen, 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 listen. It, it's, it's not. I mean, listen, there's, it, it, there's just, there's, it's not. The conditions that you are under would. Why do I need to be seen? Why did, why, oh. why do you think I needed to be seen during that time? Because Dude, I is, had this craving yeah. to, to have the acknowledgement of, 
of people. And phone calls weren't doing it because when I when it was a phone call with a new family member, it was a good fifteen minutes of exposition and then a sorry and we'll check in with you later. Well, don't and it you never think, ever don't made you me think, feel satisfied. Don't you think and again, this is where the spiritual director me launches out. This has more yep. to do with how you receive or want and need love than than anything else. And and you know what? Who gives a shit if anybody attaches some stupid stuff to it because this is your need and desire to be loved? That's what I said. That's what I finally said. But it took me um, up until the night before on that Sunday that you're talking about. It took me up until I woke up that next day to finally say, yes, I will do this. So um, so on top of everything else, on top of owning a, a tattoo shop, being a new dad, I am also a drag queen. Um, I go by. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> Say it again. It went by too quickly. Um, I am it went a by... loud and proud New York light nightlife entertainer known as Ginger Lad. You yeah. please follow me on Instagram, uh, the Ginger Lad. I uh, I started my foray into. Um, I stepped into to heels the first time like 15 years ago uh, when I lived in San Francisco. Played around with the idea, but I was too. Um, too afraid of my masculinity to get involved in drag. I had a different feeling about drag that then than I do now. I realized that getting up in drag and being a very being a very successful drag queen doesn't take anything away from my masculinity. It doesn't turn me into a girl. Hey, if you feel like you are a trans, that's beautiful, and it's your reason why you're doing drag. Go. Let's let's do dra- let's do drag another show for this purposes. Tell us what you okay, did. Okay. Okay. So Tell- anyway, I'm a drag queen. Yeah. I go by Ginger Lad. Um, I, my hair tends to go on the on the red side uh, during the summer. Ginger Lad. That's my name. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, all of that. Uh, Ginger and Lad. Can I just um, can I just stop you too? Out of all the out of all the drag queens that I know, and I happen to know a few. <laughs> um, yep. I'm telling you, man, you. You do such a great, a great job. Keep going. I'm very, very lucky. Um, I have, I, I have a bohemian uh, sort of uh, job, uh, being a tattoo artist. I get to work with a lot of wonderful, exciting, artistic people. Um, and when I decided to really step into this, I really drew on those friendships. Now, none of them were professional drag queens. None of them were performing in New York City nightlife, but they could point me in the direction of how to do it correctly. We'll talk about drag another time. It is pretty fascinating. Um, and, and, and let me just say that I absolutely love it. I love it so much. Um, uh, one of the most famous uh, drag queens of our time, with, who is RuPaul Charles, has often said to, to anyone who'll listen that you'll find your true self once you get into drag. It is this bizarre thing of completely disguising yourself as not only another person, but as another gender that really helps you express who your true self is. Ru, RuPaul often says, you will find out if you're a bad person once you get into drag. You will find out if you are a good person. She doesn't say that. She, just, she says, you'll find out if you're a bitch. You'll find out if you're, you're a slut. You'll find out if you're kind, generous, giving kind of person. Once you get into drag, it is a truth serum, JR. It is the most bizarre, painful, entertaining thing to do to yourself if you do it correctly. And I try to do it correctly, so I appreciate that very, so very go, much. So great. Um, so go to, so go to Sunday a, night. Sunday go to show. Sunday night. Since, since the... Um, 
since being inside, I did not get back into drag for a month. Plenty of my contemporaries were the very first week they started their online shows. At any given time, on any given evening, there's probably about 100 drag queens doing live shows on Instagram. And I saw them, and I thought, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for it. I'm going to do other things. I need to teach my son. I'll, I'll do other things adjacent. I'll do wigs. I'll do nails, things like that. And then my friend, my best friend, uh, Dreama Bell, you can follow her on Instagram, Dreama Bell Official. She is a Southern Bell drag uh, persona. She is wonderful. She is my best friend in this industry. We do uh, a weekly, sh- we, we would do weekly shows here in the Rockaways uh, as the Rockaway Babes. I perform with her in New York, Long Island, Brooklyn, Coney Island. We are sort of inseparable. I have never had a person in my life that has lived this close that I could spend so much time with and enjoy so much. And she's just a hoot. So she started doing a, a, a show. And I watched the entirety of it. And I saw the bravery of her literally, can you imagine? You're just in an empty room with a camera. And you are trying so hard to engage with people that you can't see. You almost have to imagine them being there. You almost have to, to put yourself in what it was like to entertain me live in front of other people. And she did such a good job on that show that I really, and she, a little bit of pressure from her, she said, we need to bring back the Rockwood Babes. And so I had done a show previously and then my father had passed. And I obviously, I, I was just in grief and mourning and I thought for certain I was not going to do a show that Sunday. And I waited until about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to, to tell her this. And then over the phone, she said, well, we came to the conclusion of why not we go both on and talk about our experiences. You don't have to get into drag. Why don't you just tell about your experience? I think people are going to be very interested in hearing it. My friend, Dreama, bless her, got COVID-19 and survived. And so she had also a personal story to tell about her anguish and her pain and her thoughts of dying and living in a small rural uh, Virginia town that treated like her, treated her like a pariah. And I thought it was a very important story to hear because I kept on telling her how much of a hero she was of mine for being a survivor. And back home, she was treated like she had, you know, a scarlet letter. Uh, it was, it was just ridiculous. So it was an evolving thing hour by hour to where I thought, okay, maybe I will get into drag, but I'm not going to perform. And then the day of, I had had a show already prepped. It was in the wings. It takes me hours to kind of get ready the songs and memorize and all that business. I had a show in my pocket and I decided at the last minute for us to have an extended show that would be for the first hour fairly informational and we would talk about our experiences and what we were going through. And then the second hour we would lighten it up and try to you know, celebrate the people that we know that are that are still with us, and and then it ended up being a two and a half hour show. And then you actually you actually watched it. I think that it'd be better probably for you to talk about what you were seeing than for me to tell you well, again, what I was doing. Again, I'm just I'm fascinated. I'm I'm fascinated at the ways of love. So for me, knowing that you were going to do a Instagram live drag show with Dreama on the heels of your dad dying. Like you can say that sentence to an audience and maybe some people, maybe some people would gasp 
and go, what the hell yep. are they doing? But the ways of right. love are very curious and mysterious because here's what I know. I know you have found a wonderful sense of true self through your your journey in drag but i also know right. i know dream has too but here's my biggest point where i was moved so much over sunday and then what led me to just want to talk to you on the podcast was as i watched you live like again i wasn't seeing ginger i wasn't necessarily and i was seeing chris obviously but what I was really seeing was I was really seeing this the involvement of the ability to give and receive love at a level at which sorrow and joy intermix and become one. And that's something that I think we miss at times because we tend to hold joy and sorrow in yep. two hands instead of one. And you've heard all my bullshit about this before, but the, the, the bottom line was... As I watched, and I didn't watch both hours, but as I watched, what I what I really truly saw was this magnificence between you and Dream, and obviously the the folks that were watching. Just this magnificence yeah. of of being able to not only honor your dad because you did honor who you are because you did honor yeah. Dream for her, but also envelop yeah. the idea. That we're not fucking alone. We're not alone. And with each other, this is the this is the biggest thing that we can do. Because guess what? Nobody has a book written on how to survive no. COVID after your dad dies and your husband's sequestered and you're about to adopt a child. Oh, and we've lost our business. Oh, and 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 so I just think what you did. Sunday for me was just a, a real recognition of of kind of like it's kind of like standing at the plate of the universe and yes. be very willing to hit a ball back into play like I'm willing to hit a ball back into play I don't want to sit in the damn stands I want to hit nope. a ball back into play right. and I'm going to do That's that right. and regardless of what people think and again here's me sitting here's me getting ramped up regardless of what people think about drag or regardless uh, give of me a break yeah uh, I mean okay, yeah, give me a I break get okay. over it it's, I'm done. yeah give me a break give me over it if you don't love drag this is not your podcast but I got to tell you um, do this, to, do get, this, do this. Get to, get to know a drag queen. Get to know a drag queen. Do this. Um, we've got we've got a couple yeah. minutes, and then I just want to wrap up. What do you? What do you? Uh, in 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 a minute or two. In a minute or two. What do you want people to know? What do you want people to know about? And again, we could make this about the experience of COVID, but I mean, obviously, your story there's there's much more than just COVID. <laughs> What do you want people to know in this season where collectively there is so much uncertainty that people are just fucking freaking out? What do you want people to know? Um, well, you were you were about to go to a point that we went to the other day when we were talking. I've never in my life let go and been in control at the same time. I It was this most bizarre feeling of okay it, it's sometimes when i go to a, a really tall building and i look out the window i almost feel like i'm gonna fall out right you feel like you have this irrational feeling that you're just going to fall when you're safely inside of a very tall space and when i was there doing that on sunday i didn't have anything underneath my feet and i felt like i was floating 
I felt that I had given in to something that I had never fully given into before. I was literally floating, like you said, between sorrow and joy. I was, it was like, there were, I was between two magnets and each opposing force was keeping me up. And it's the most bizarre thing to describe. And I know I'll be thinking about it for a while, but I let go. I let go completely. And I just, I had a lot of conversations with God. There were a lot of times that night before I wept on the floor after, after my, after Wesley went to bed, I laid on the ground in the, uh, in the kitchen and I cried because I just had to let it go. And then I rose up. And I decided that the next day was going to be my most authentic day that I could ever have. And, and it was the most authentic day that I've ever had. Um, I was able to, to mourn and laugh and be with people that I loved and have, and be seen and, and to actually be seen and people saw me and I would encourage anybody to ever find that place because I can't describe it. It was, it was, it was almost like being, I was floating. I was just floating in the most natural state that I could possibly be in. I wasn't being contrived. I wasn't trying too hard. I was just being, and by just fully being and being there and fully present I got a lot of peace and a lot of joy now the next day I had to deal with all sorts of things and then I go back up and down with everything and there's reality and there's life but in those two and a half hours three hours I, I was just I was just being what I needed to be yeah and that was the most freeing thing and I didn't even know that I was doing it and I didn't know that I was being possessed and guided to, to do that. Yeah. When I started the show, I didn't even know what was going to happen. That's that's the most incredible part. Yeah. That it was so free from my soul, so free and easy from my body, that it just came out. I had no scripts. I did not know if I was going to perform certain things. I was just going off of the moment and living in that moment. The reality smacked me again the next day, Jr. And I was I was back to sleeping on the couch and um, and trying to maintain some sense of normalcy for this poor kid who's literally been locked up with me all this time. Can you imagine, <laughs> poor 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 Wesley. <laughs> oh, there's so many jokes but, I want to make. I won't. I won't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he's not alone. You're going to say he's got Ginger and he's got me. Yeah, um, yeah that's what I was uh, going to say. Was it? Was uh, it? Yeah. Of course. Well, no, listen. We don't, there's not two of me. There's just me. Yeah, listen and, to me. Um, listen, yeah. I don't want to... Um, I want to stop there, and I appreciate your story. Okay. Um, I thank you so... You know, again... I had to check myself on some of the motivations even to ask you to do this because I just wanted to make sure that I want, you know, there's a couple things, right? It's like respecting you, your family, your story, the trauma, the sorrow, but also really wanting to investigate and have people hear a story 
where you're holding joy and sorrow in the same hand in yeah. a season that it's nobody could have predicted. You're not exploiting anything. I'm a firm believer of surrounding myself with people who know things that I don't know. That makes me smarter. Um, that's why I watch the briefings. That's why I, I uh, talk to you every couple of weeks. Um, you know certain things that I don't know, and I surround myself with smart people and who've been through different experiences than me. Yeah. And I know no one else who's had this. And if this helps somebody, that's brilliant. Yeah. And that's just, that, that's, that's it. I have no motivation in other than to just be right now. Yeah. I'm just trying to survive. The best thing you could do for anybody who's in this in kind of similar situation, call them, learn how to use Zoom, learn how to do video conferencing. They need to see your face. Offer to get their groceries delivered for them. Do something like that. That's the best thing you do because we're just in survival mode in, in New York City right now. Yeah. All right, listen, I love you, uh, praying for you, obviously. Uh, beat on Michael's door and yell at him for me. Tell him that I'm, I'm thinking about him uh, and give Wesley a hug. I love you, dude. I am so, you, so Olivia. sorry that, that, that you all had to go through this, and um, I appreciate you telling your story. So thanks, buddy. For those of you wanting to drop a card to Chris and family, you can write me at jr at jrman.com. That's jr at jrmahon.com. Appreciate you guys all sticking in there. Uh, be praying for the comfort uh, for all those out there that are suffering underneath um, the COVID-19. And uh, we wish you and your family the best. If you're looking for spiritual direction, I'm your guy. You can write me, jr at jrman.com. You can call me. Numbers are all over the place. I love you. Stay safe. Be kind to one another. Um, And that's it, man. We'll talk to you soon.